Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 15, 15 of the Snyder Cut. I am your handsome host, Jeff Snyder. It was a slow news week, guys. We're going to be uh, talking about Oscars in the second half of the show because I don't think that we got a new For Your Consideration episode. We taped one last week. I thought it was going up earlier this week. It didn't happen. So we may just have to retape that. I don't know what the deal is with that episode. It's kind of outdated now because I saw a lot over the weekend, and I got to talk about it. Who better to talk about it with than John Roca, who's going to be coming in? Um, but let's talk about the news this week. So uh, that'll, that'll t- be like the first half of the show. I guess we got to start with all this Star Wars stuff. Lots going on. So we saw David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are out. They were going to be doing a trilogy uh, no one even knew if they were actually doing a trilogy because there were reports that then they were only planning to write the first one. Uh, but either way, they're gone. And there was a lot of, you know, there were two stories, a Variety story and the Hollywood Reporter story, which landed within minutes of each other uh, that that tried to, like, break it down and get inside the the inside business of it all. And Variety kind of laid the, the, the blame at the feet of Kathleen Kennedy. And while I think that that is a really easy explanation, and I'm sure that there is some truth to it, like, I don't think that this can all just be put on Kathy Kennedy. Um <sighs> I don't like. I definitely think that she needs to go. I, I think that she is going to go. I don't even think it's a matter of like my opinion of like, you know, whether she needs to stay or go or whatever. I think she's leaving. I think that she's going to stay on at Lucasfilm through the release of Episode Nine, uh, through the release of Mandalorian, which is only like twelve days away now. So, and and then after that, it's like, well, where is what is the future of this franchise? It's the Obi Wan series. It's a Diego Luna, Cassian Andor prequel series. But like, you know, on the film side, there's really nothing besides Ryan Johnson's trilogy, which could go up in smoke as easily as the the Weiss uh, and Benioff one. And then there's the Kevin Feige movie, which was just announced. So it's kind of a clean slate. It's kind of the perfect time for Kathleen Kennedy to go off. You know, into the horizon. I think that she did her job, which was to to bring Star Wars back and and make it a pop culture force. And she did that. I mean, yes, Solo didn't perform the way that it should have, but Force Awakens was gigantic. Uh, I think that Episode Nine is going to be gigantic. Um, You know, we'll see if J.J. Abrams sticks the landing. But Kathleen Kennedy did what she was brought in to do. Um, Have there been bumps along the way? Absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know what that is. If that's like a management style, I think that there's you know with, with this particular uh, exit, there was a lot more going on. I mean, Benioff and Weiss just signed that two hundred and fifty million dollar Netflix deal, and I don't think Netflix wanted to wait another year for them to you know finish writing the scripts, do the all the pre pro stuff, cast the movie, then shoot the movie, do the post. Like at that point, you're waiting to almost two, three, four, almost maybe even four years. Who knows? Uh, to get the first Benioff and Weiss property. And I don't even know how long their $250 million deal is for. It may just be for like five years. So, you know, they were sort of under pressure to start producing stuff for Netflix, and and that's what their statement alluded to. Like, oh, we've got all these projects, and if there are only more hours in the day. I don't know what projects they have at Netflix. I'm not tracking anything with Benioff and Weiss over there. I'm sure uh, Netflix won't spare any expense when it comes to those guys and keeping them happy because it's not like it's not like Shonda Rhimes or Ryan Murphy. Like 
I mean, I'm sure they're going to be doing some TV stuff there. But I think that those guys, you know, what is what does a Benioff and Weiss movie look like? Um, I mean, you know, David Benioff was obviously a huge screenwriter before Game of Thrones. But, you know, the, over the last decade, that's really the only credit th- that these guys have. So uh, I, don't, I don't know what their plan is at Netflix, but I, I buy that. The, the, the Netflix was just put its foot down. Like, if we're giving you guys $250 million, there's not going to be any... You can't go into Star Wars. Now, you know, there's some some speculation regarding, like, the timing of all of this. Because it was just reported on, on Monday night, late Monday night. THR sort of hinted that there had been trouble brewing since August. A writer at Vanity Fair, I believe it was Joanna Robinson, speculated that she... Or said that she'd heard uh, that they were out as early as may and like this had nothing to do with the netflix deal or whatever i I mean i i don't i don't know when it happened i agree you know mark harris tweeted like just because we're finding out about things when we do it doesn't mean that they just happen then like the news isn't always that new you know i've reported on deals that you know were made six months ago and just nobody found out about them and it, it, it still makes them news but it also throws off the timing and, and maybe like the context of why something is happening and uh, and, and when. Um, the other uh, thing that THR speculated about with regard to its story was toxic fandom. I mean, they basically said Benioff and Weiss felt like they were in a lose-lose position because Star Wars fans have just become among the most toxic fan bases on the internet. And so, you know, after dealing with the fallout of like a bad or poorly received final season for Game of Thrones, these guys kind of threw up their hands and didn't want to have to deal with, you know, building a new like a new Star Wars. Like if this is in fact the the end of the Skywalker saga, this episode 9, then everything after it is going to sort of I don't know if they're going to keep going back to old characters, you know, which it seemed like had been the plan. Like, you know, we're getting Obi-Wan. They had been developing a Boba Fett movie. Like, or are we going to see new stories, new characters in this world? And that that's a lot of pressure. I mean, either way for Benioff and Weiss. Um, meanwhile, on the Game of Thrones front, it was also released this, uh, this week that, that HBO is not picking up the Naomi Watts-led spinoff. They, uh, you know, they had cast it they'd shot a pilot and and it seemed like it was just a no-brainer that like obviously it's going to get picked up it's game of thrones people are going to watch it but I, you know i don't know what the reason came down to maybe it just wasn't up to the quality of of the the flagship series but yeah they're not moving forward with that one they're doing some other house of dragons show i don't really watch game of thrones so i don't care i didn't care about any of these spinoffs uh, so it's not the end of the world to me but it, it was a bit surprising for sure i mean naomi watts is a, is a big star um, you know, I'm sure that that considerable uh, expense was was spent, but yeah, it di- didn't get the pickup. And, and HBO has pulled the plug on on all kinds of high profile series uh, where you're you, you'd think, oh man, any network would be lucky to have this show. But that's that's why ne- uh, HBO is who they are. You know, they they just. They're tastemakers. They have high standards. Uh, they like high quality shows. And, and if they felt like this wasn't ready for prime time, then I'm inclined uh, to trust their judgment on that one. Um, and before we transition out of Star Wars, I mean, I think this is just speculation at this point. And it's totally possible that Kevin Feige could go back to like one of the Marvel directors, you know, that have that sort of built the MCU with him, but. I think that he's going to hire the, the first female director in the fil- in the history of the film franchise. I know that there are female directors on The Mandalorian, 
uh, and the film franchise has had a female writer before, but there's never been a female director, and I just feel like it's it's past time. It really is. And Kevin Feige has showed, you know, between Black Panther and Captain Marvel, like he's open to, you know, taking the taking these big swings. Not that hiring a female filmmaker is is, is a big swing. Like it sh- it shouldn't be at this point. Maybe Kevin will turn to Kate Shortland, who just did Black Widow. Maybe he'll wait a little while and hire uh, Chloe Zhao once she, once she finishes the Eternals. Like it's sort of going to depend on how those movies turn out and what the reaction is like. Um, and, and listen, there's plenty of other female filmmakers who, who would no doubt kill for a shot of star, at Star Wars and who I'm sure uh, Kevin would love to be in business with. So I just – I think it's time and I think Kevin knows it's time. And he, he recognizes that. And uh, and so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But a lot of that is going to depend on you know what is the story being told and, and who's writing the script and, and all that stuff. We don't have any details. We just know that Kevin's doing a movie. Um Streaming Wars. The Streaming Wars are upon us, guys. Today marks the launch of Apple TV+, and in 12 days we're getting Disney+. The reviews for these, I guess, I guess there's eight shows, but only four were really sent out for review. I don't I don't know what the deal is with... I didn't see like a lot of servant reviews um, or reviews of, of Hala or The Banker. Like I don't know when those are, are embargoed for, but at least four shows were reviewed. It was uh, The Morning Show, C, For All Mankind, and Dickinson. Um, now, for so For All Mankind is like it seemed like the, the the show that got the best reviews. Like I don't think anybody was doing cartwheels for it, but they were respectful. It's from the Battle uh, Battlestar Galactica guy. Um, you know, it, it looked like a space series, like every, like a lot of or mo- almost everything set in space. Um, I, you know, I it was probably the one that I would would most want to watch. Like the morning show, it has the big stars, and I'm definitely curious. But the reviews have just been pretty brutal, and it sounds like it's all over the place, like very schizophrenic in terms of tone. And a lot of the criticisms are about how you know Steve Carell, who was positioned as like the third, you know, star of this show. He, they basically paint his uh, character into into a corner right off the the bat with like these Me Too accusations. And so it's like, well, where do you go from there? Um, C is not getting great reviews either. I mean, everyone agrees that it's sort of visually impressive, but I don't know what the deal is with that one. And then Dickinson, Dickinson. I will admit, I've been a little hard on this one because it's not for me. Some people are really left scratching their heads. They don't know what the hell this is for uh, or, or, like, what the hell it is. Just like, you know, the Wild Nights of, of Emily Dickinson. It's it's Emily, It's Emily. Little Women meets Euphoria. It's, I mean, so, some critics are really taking to it. And, and one of the producers has been uh, calling me out on, on Twitter for my negative coverage. Uh, he, he just wants me to, to give it a watch myself, and, and I probably should. I probably should. I mean, that is, but it's part of part of it is my job is to, you know, respond and offer takes based on marketing materials, based on trailers, based on other people's reviews. It's like, man, I read this Hollywood Reporter review, absolutely took the knives out, shredded it. So I start tweeting about it, and I'm like, you know, the development of this project never really made sense to me. So he's like, all right, why don't you, why don't you give it a, 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 you know, watch a few episodes, then we'll talk. It's like, listen, man, I, I would. But, you know, Apple doesn't like – they didn't make the screeners available to me. I've since gotten everything sorted out with Apple. But 
you know, he, and then he, he threw the Rotten Tomato score in my face. I'm like, man, that's based on 12 reviews, first of all, and uh, and the score has come down the, since, but it is still fresh. You know, critics are the consensus is that they are digging it. So maybe I just happened to read the the, the one most negative review in, in the Hollywood Reporter, written by a female critic. Um, I think that's another sort of split that you have to take into account. That maybe the show isn't for male critics. I've definitely seen. Just in general, publications have been assigning female critics to Dickinson. And, yeah, you know, it, it's definitely getting better reviews than I was expecting. But there are certainly some some haters and some dissent out there. Um, the thing about, you know, the morning show is just like the insane cost. It's $15 million an episode when you factor in all the talent fees. And so when you're doing a 10-episode season, that's $150 million a season. They've committed to two seasons. That's $300 million. Would that... The, with the buzz that this has generated, you know, should you have spent $300 million to produce two seasons of, of this show that nobody really seems to love? Or should they have just taken that $300 million and bid on the Lord of the Rings rights? I mean, those went for 250 I think it was, to Amazon. So, you know, if Apple had just upped its bid, maybe it wouldn't have, have a show, but at least it would have rights to something that every that everybody is going to scramble to see. Uh, it just that that seems like it would make more sense to me. Um, there was also a piece, you know, Variety did a piece on this, and they said that, that they mentioned the Super Intelligence movie that uh, had moved to HBO Max a few weeks ago, and they said that Warner Brothers had to convince Melissa McCarthy to to move Super Intelligence to their streaming platform. Whereas a few weeks ago, the, the original report said, you know, had Melissa McCarthy getting out in front of the story, basically being like, well, this was all Ben, Fe- my husband Ben's idea. He's the director. He's the filmmaker. He heard about HBO Max. He was like, well, why, why isn't our movie premiering there? I don't know anyone who has a theatrical release like on Christmas Day, no less, who's then like, hey, why aren't I on this streaming service? So it was kind of nice to see Variety call that out because it never really made sense to me. Um, and, it, yeah, I'm sure they had to talk her into it. And and listen, it may be the best thing for the movie. It's a PG movie. It didn't. It was the worst trailer I saw at CinemaCon out of Warner Brothers. And maybe they just didn't want to spend $30 million to market it. And now they don't. Now they have a place to put it. And maybe, you know, they'll and they'll hype it up uh, the same way Disney's hyping up these movies like Lady and the Tramp and Noel that probably aren't the next Disney classics. You know, they are something that might get you to, to sign up for a streaming service since to sign up for a streaming service is really like the cost of a single movie ticket. Um, meanwhile, HBO Max had its big reveal day for press, and we were talking about this on Movie Talk. We, uh, nobody from Collider was invited. Uh <laughs> Big mistake, HBO Max. Like, I don't know who you think is important these days. Uh, the Vanity Fairs, the LA Times of the world. You will be dealing with me and Collider a lot more than you will be dealing with any of these other publications, okay? Especially if you are if you think you're going to be making 50 new streaming series and movies a year. Like, who do you think is going to report on all those? you think Vanity Fair cares about all 50? No, it's gonna, you're going to be dealing with me. And so to have no, uh, nobody from Collider there, uh, a real slap in the face. I always have a great relationship with HBO. HBO is not HBO Max. These are two totally separate teams. HBO Max is more the Turner folks. And, and maybe it's an oversight on that, their part. But believe me, when I start dropping news about HBO Max stuff and not, and not asking them for comment or not uh, caring about their confirmations, we'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll see if they regret that oversight. I mean, right off the bat... Uh, we'd heard that there was going to be a, a Green Lantern TV series, and 
I mean, I had a lunch that day. If I didn't have that lunch or, you know, if I had – if the editors really wanted to push it, we could have blown up HBO Max's spot before they even made the announcement and just put out the Green Lantern thing. So if you are listening to this at HBO Max or you know someone at HBO Max, you better tell them Collider is here. We're not, we're not here to mess around. We're not playing around. And we expect to be, you know, included on everything with the trades, not five minutes after the trades. Um, and speaking of that Green Lantern series, I mean, it's from the same guy responsible for the horrible movie. I, I just don't understand that. I also don't don't understand uh, repainting the iconic Warner Brothers water tower with the HBO Max logo. I mean, that Jesus Christ, blasphemy! I tell you, blasphemy. Um, okay, let's talk about some other news. Hopefully, we're going to have John Roca in like about 15 minutes. Uh, Lady Gaga is doing a Gucci movie. Ridley Scott has been trying to do a Gucci movie for like 10, 15 years. I think uh, Jordan Scott was going to direct it at one point. Uh, or maybe, maybe I think it was Gucci. Uh, it was Gu- I think there was a Gucci movie. There was a Versace movie. I can't even keep track because Ridley Scott's attached to like 20 different projects. This one is about the murder, the assassination of Gucci's grandson, that's why I'm getting everything confused because of assassination of Gianni Versace and yeah. Anyways, uh, Ridley is about to go do the last duel for Fox Disney. It doesn't have a green light yet, but it is expected to to get one uh, now that the Adam Driver stuff is getting close to closing. Um, so this is going to be a, a ways off. It is the first thing that Lady Gaga has signed on to since A Star Is Born, for which she won an Oscar, not for for acting. She was only nominated there, but she won for writing uh, Shallow, which was just a great song. I don't know. I like this character for Lady Gaga. I can see her as a, as a broken-hearted Italian woman, passionate, uh, who has murder on her mind after her husband leaves her for another woman. Um, and yeah, she's in good hands with Ridley Scott. So hopefully that'll come to fruition. I just, I mean, God, Ridley Scott's getting up there. Like, uh, how many more do, does he have in him? And, and does he really want to make this Gucci movie one of his last ones? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, handed the, the directing reins over to his daughter or, you know, who, whoever. Um, but I, I assume that he just he had to sort of attach himself as director in order to, to, to secure Lady Gaga's participation in telling the story. There's a Bee Gees biopic on the way. Uh, Graham King's producing it. He's the Bohemian Rhapsody producer. He, they're doing it for Paramount, which just did Rocket Man. You know, I don't know that the Bee Gees are Queen or Elton John. Like, to me, disco is kind of dead. And I know that these guys will always have their hardcore fan base, same as ABBA. And Mamma Mia, that's a huge success for Universal. I, this sounds like more of a biopic than like a movie built around the songs, the way that Mamma Mia was or, or Universal's doing with Last Christmas and the music of George Michael. I'm sure the the, the, the Gibb brothers have, have had some fascinating squabbles. And, and uh, you know, if we had John Roker on here right now, he could tell you more about it. But to me... I don't know, you know, who, what young people are, are going would go to see this Bee Gees thing. Like, I think about the Bee Gees. I think about the the SNL sketch, the the Barry Gibb talk show, or whatever. Um, yeah, disco is dead. I don't see this having a great outcome. Uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger signing on to Amy Poehler's movie Moxie, uh, which also added Ike Barinholtz. This is like a Netflix movie. I think it's a Netflix movie. I doubt that I will see. Um, although Patrick Schwarzenegger is starting to do some more interesting things. He's got Dan- Daniel in real life or Dan in real No, wait. That's a Steve Carell movie. 
I don't know what the hell the title is. It's that genre film uh, with Patrick Schwarzenegger, but it, uh, it, that that actually looked cool. So I don't know that he'll ever be like the the, the star that his father is, but he's, he's trying to put some things together. Don Winslow, uh, he was in the news this week. I thought uh, Mike Fleming had a good uh, piece with him on Deadline. He's got the the rights to the Winter Frankie Machine back. This was a, a project that I think Scorsese and De Niro were trying to do for a while, and then they ended up uh, doing The Irishman instead. So, you know, that project has, has languished in development hell, but I think Don Winslow has the rights back. He's doing The Cartel as a weekly TV series for FX. Uh, but the project that I'm, I'm most interested in is The Force, uh, which Fleming described as a modern-day Serpico or Prince of the City. He said that uh, Disney has uh, officially paid the full purchase price uh, for that book, so they're serious about making it. It's not just like an option at this point. He said actors have started circling uh, the role of, of Denny Malone, and uh, and yeah, uh, this is James Mangold's next project. Hopefully, especially now that he has wrapped um, Ford vs Ferrari, which is starting to get shown to press more. I'd, I'd love to take a look at that next week, though. No invites yet. Um, so yeah, really just hoping the force to come that that the force comes together. I know I sort of read it with Justin Theroux in mind. It would be super cool if if Mangold got someone like Tom Cruise to play the lead. That would be awesome. I'm just glad Fox is, is serious about making it. Uh, Mark Roybal and Whip, CAA's sort of production outfit, uh, they got this this novel, People Who Eat Darkness. I guess this has been in in the works for a while, uh, you know, at Roybal's old company. It sounds really cool. It involves like a Japanese serial killer operating like a, in plain sight practically underneath uh, the police force's noses and this, this father who loses his daughter. He appeals to Tony Blair. To, to get a move on this investigation or to put political pressure on Japan. Sounds cool. I'm, I'm liking these, you know, really dark stories set overseas, whether uh, or, or just, you know, in foreign countries, whether it's this one or Tokyo, Tokyo Vice, which got Michael Mann uh, on board to direct the pilot, or even like the, the next, the Mexico parts of Nick Reffin's Amazon series, uh, too young to, to die old, too old to die young. Sorry. I, like, I just, I like these crime shows that are, take place outside of America. Um, elsewhere. Oh, the Anna Delvey story. Guys, remember at the top of the podcast last week I was talking about this Anna Delvey show that Shonda Rhimes is producing for Netflix. I had done the exclusive story last week that Julia Garner was in talks. And then about a half an hour after I posted that story, sans confirmation, you know, uh, I had sort of – heard a few days prior that that it was happening and then i waited until monday to 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 do anything with it and i posted and about a half an hour after that somebody reaches out and they said yo i heard she passed and i felt sick to my stomach i was like oh my god like did i just tell the whole world that julia garner is doing this project when she's not was i working with old information this is why you always get the confirmation and i was kicking myself like i really was beating myself up for it and thank god because this week it was announced officially Julia Garner will play Anna Delvey in that series. So, you know, she did come back around. I think the person who heard that she had passed maybe had the old info. Uh, and I like it. I think that she's – I mean, I, I think I said last week, like, I didn't quite understand it. But I think that she's good. Someone had sort of said that – that she'd read the script and it was too, like, Grey's Anatomy-ish and a little too light. And it wasn't quite dark enough for her tastes. 
But uh, obviously that's not the case. Julia Garner is doing it. I think it, the Anna Delvey story is a great story. Like, I don't watch Shonda Rhimes stuff for that very reason because it, it does feel very, like, broadcast TV. And at the end of the day, like, we're all going to hug. And, you know, I don't think that this story necessarily has a happy ending. But it is a great story, one that, you know, I think that she's lucky to be able to tell. Uh, and there, But there are soapy elements, so I could see how Shonda, you know, it might ap- that story might appeal to her, how, how she would put her imprimatur on it. Uh, Anna Klumsky is going to be playing the journalist at the center of this Anna Delvey story, or sort of peeling the layers back and, you know, trying to answer the question, who is Anna Delvey? Uh, I didn't really watch Veep, but I do like Anna Klumsky. I think that she is kind of the perfect Shonda Rhimes lead. And then Laverne Cox is also part of this cast, and Laverne Cox is going to be playing a real celebrity trainer named, uh, I think it's Casey Cole. I didn't know if it is the first time that a trans performer has been cast as a real-life cis person. I know that trans performers have played cis characters, but uh, you know, like I wonder... What this Casey Cole thinks about having a trans performer play her. I think I personally think it's pretty cool. I think it's interesting. I don't know for sure whether it is the first instance of that because, you know, God knows how many uh, indie movies or, or, or lower budget films, things that aren't, you know, getting major release. You know, I, I don't know. But as far as like major things go, I think that it kind of is a, a one for the record books uh, for Laverne Cox. Um, there was a Gerard Butler movie called The Plane that was announced. Uh, he's going to be playing like a hero pilot. Um, you know, sounds kind of generic. Like he has to make an emergency landing in a storm, but then he lands in the middle of a war zone and then the plane and the passengers are sort of taken hostage, uh, by these warring militia, militia men. Um, Oscar Isaac signed on to star in Paul Schrader's next project, The Card Counter. Sounded like kind of like a revenge themed movie involving gambling though so that sounded cool better than i just hope it turns out better than mississippi grind like that was the last big i guess there was that in the gambler uh, the mark Wahlberg movie neither of which i really loved i thought ben Mendelssohn was good in mississippi grind but it was kind of like a boring movie I think Paul Schrader uh, will will make this a little bit more exciting. And I think I really like the idea, just the idea of Oscar Isaac as the leading man um, in a Paul Schrader movie. Uh, The Intruder director, Dion Taylor, who also directed Black and Blue, which I still need to see. He uh, announced a new movie called Free Agents, which is about pro football players who are being exploited. And so they they turn to, to pulling off crimes to get back at the owners. I mean, tough for me to to sympathize with uh, pro football players who are being paid millions of dollars. But on the other hand, they are risking, you know, their their long-term health. And while this was sort of described initially as the town meets heat, to me it felt like ballers meets hustlers. You know, hustlers is about, you know, these strippers who who turn the table on on the Wall Street guys who they felt like were screwing them um, just, you know, in in regular old day-to-day life. And uh, that that's what this feels like to me. I like Deion Taylor's sort of like B-movie sensibilities. 
So hopefully he's able to come up with something fun, something like, you know, Den of Thieves, but with football players instead of cops. There was uh, more casting on the trial of the Chicago 7. Michael Keaton and William Hurt joined the cast. And then we broke some news that uh, Thomas Middleditch from Silicon Valley and Max Adler had joined the cast. Love what Aaron Sorkin is putting together there. Sorkin was also in the news this week for, uh, you know, penning a fiery letter to Mark Zuckerberg. I would love to, you know, at first I was against the idea of a social network sequel i kind of thought the movie was perfect just let it let it be but the more i think about it and the more zuckerberg is in the news for all this crazy stuff we may be getting like that would be interesting if we got a social network too i I bet jesse eisenberg would come back i don't know if fincher would would do a sequel but i also don't know who they would get to replace him or if he'd like allow it to even happen without him um but i bet sorkin just has a ton of a ton of stuff on this guy and I would love to see him follow up that story. You know, maybe it still needs some more time. Uh, the Bloodless came out. My pal Kaylee Marsh over at Brillstein, she's been putting out The Bloodless for 11 editions now, 11 years. So check out The Bloodless over on Collider.com. A lot of interesting genre scripts. I actually was really into this year's um, slate of, of genre scripts that, uh, that, that made the cut. There was an interesting one called 1031 where, like, you know, imagine opening up a piece of candy on Halloween and inside the wrapper it says there's a killer on the loose in your neighborhood. That's just a great gimmick. So I, I expect uh, – I, I think looking at last year's Bloodless, I don't know if anything actually got produced this year. I think that's going to definitely not be the case. Things are going to get made off that list. Shut In by Melanie Toast is the script I've been hearing about for the better part of a year. She has a great story. I think that that movie will end up getting made. Um, and as far as, like, the movie front goes – Let's see. I saw. Un- uh, I don't want to step on the Oscar conversation. I saw Doctor Sleep this week. I thought it was okay. I really liked the the little girl who they have as the young lead of Opera, and I liked Rose the Hat. Rebecca Ferguson was quite good. And every time the movie sort of cut away from Rose the Hat and her her band of followers, uh, you know, it, it kind of lost me. Like I thought, Ewan McGregor's Danny Torrance was kind of boring. Uh, you know, he's he's struggling with alcoholism and um and then the, you know the, the movie just kind of went off the rails at the end for me in act three because it just starts to trot out they get to the overlook and they just start trotting out all these shining references and they're just playing the greatest hits of another movie i can't really give them credit for that there listen there were really there this is not a bad movie i think it's better than than the it sequel i i but and there are some really interesting parts but on the whole, it just wasn't scary enough for me. I, you know, I think Mark, Mike Flanagan still has that uh, jump jump scare sensibility, and I, I think someone's got to break him of that. Uh, I watched Terror Train and The Exorcist 3 for Halloween this week. That was fun. I'd also recommend checking out The Nightingale on Hulu. Uh, and then, let's see, there was The Grudge trailer. I thought that looked like a, a typical old January movie. Nothing special. And then the little teaser for Hunters, a.k.a. The Hunt, the Jordan Peele series about Nazi hunters. Um, so, yeah, check that stuff out. Okay, before we uh, we wrap up the show, we're going to talk about Oscars oh. for the next uh, 20, 30 minutes. We've got about 30 minutes, John. Wow. There's still some things left I want to talk about at the end of the show, but let's get uh, underway here with Oscars. Oh. So this week... Uh, I saw The Irishman. Yeah. I saw Marriage Story. I saw Uncut Gems Mm. with Adam Sandler. What do you – let's talk about Best Picture. Like, What what do you think could win Best Picture at this stage in the game right now based on what you've seen? Okay. Right now, I 
as much as I love Joker and as much as I think Joker should be the odds-on favorite, it feels to me like the Irishman is the one that people are going to go back to and vote as the best picture. Uh, I think it's because, A, it's the nostalgia of Scorsese, the nostalgia of Scorsese with De Niro and Pesci introducing Pacino into this uh, mix uh, for the first time with them. Uh, I think the film earns its three-and-a-half-hour runtime. If it even feels 10, 15 minutes too long, you excuse it because it may be your last go-around with all these guys who have really been the foundation of a cinema since the 70s. So I, I think overall this is the one that me, odds on favorite, judging from Green Book, judging from some of the other things they voted for to be Best Picture – even Shape of Water, which was basically a love story, uh, I think this is the safe choice for them and maybe even the nostalgic choices we've seen the Academy do in the past with with uh, acting nominations or acting wins. Absolutely not. I'm going to totally <laughs> disagree. Uh, so Feel I, free. You know, I, I got a call uh, last week from, from someone here at Collider who had seen – who saw The Irishman mm-hmm. and they said as soon as uh, I got out of the movie – they called me and they said that movie's not winning Best Picture. Was it you? Did no. you call yourself? I, okay. <laughs> but that was my first thought too after seeing it. It was just like I, I thought it was good. Okay. I did not think it was a masterpiece that everybody was making it out to be after the New York Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It, it is a much different movie than than uh, Goodfellas or Casino, yeah. and it's much more meditative and, and contemplative. And but you know, Goodfellas didn't win the Oscar. Right. Casino was nominated. I mean, yeah, I know that the, the the Departed one, but that was sort of like I could see the Irishman winning if the Departed never won. Okay, you know, like, but the whole narrative of, of uh, their their time has come or whatever. These guys have, they've already won, right? So I I don't think that they're going to to wind up there say, on the stage. I didn't say it's their time. It's nostalgia, right? Right, but I don't like think their time has come. They've all won. Sure, it's more nostalgia, I, but I, I don't think. I don't think the movie is good enough. Okay. All right. What do you What do you say? What do you think? The, what movie do you think is? So you're asking me who's going to win. I'm not. You're not telling me who I think should win. That's. I'm telling you right. who I no, think you, is going to win. Right. And I think the Irishman has no what chance. What do you think is? <laughs> because I don't think no chance. No chance. None. None. Fascinating. I think. I think it'll actually be not lucky to be nominated, but. It'll be nominated. I, it's not I, even a question. I, th- I think De Niro would actually be lucky to be nominated because De Niro. Wasn't... I'll be honest with you. I don't see anybody getting nominated from the film. Oh, really? Yeah, in my opinion, no. Oh. In my opinion, no. Because there's nothing De Niro does in the movie that he hasn't done in other films. And, and I agree Pacino, with that. Pacino, same thing. Pacino he cannot resist his. Uh, uh, the Jimmy Hoffa thing is all there. I thought Pesci was the best one. Pesci is always the best one. People don't talk about it enough. Pesci is the best part of Raging Bull. Pesci is the best part of Casino. Pesci is the best part of Goodfellas. And Pesci is the best part of freaking The Irishman. People do not give him enough love. So if he got nominated, I'd be very, very happy with people, that. People have Pacino over Pesci right now in, in their rankings. I think that if both of them wind up nominated, neither will win. Agreed. And Netflix really does need to pick who they are going to back. And I think the, the horse is is actually Pesci. Right. I mean, P- yeah, Pacino, I just didn't love his Jimmy Hoffa. I felt like The Irishman turned into a Jimmy Hoffa movie for like a good hour and a half, somewhere right. in the middle. I thought – that there there was a troubling lack of women. I hate that that has become a oh, thing. I, just I hate that that's it. become a thing. But when I look, Karen in Goodfellas, yeah, or Sharon Ginger in, in Casino, right. they help contextualize the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And the, Frank didn't have that. That, that he didn't substance. Well, he didn't need it either. I mean, he really didn't because those, those, all those, because he wasn't as like in Goodfellas or Ray Liotta. Like these guys are more aggressive. Pounding the door kind of guys. Frank was about, I just got to provide. It's the most 
submissive role he's ever played in a gangster film. It's prov- but he was like providing only in a financial sense. He's right. not providing any like love or, or like I don't know. I just I wanted to see more of Frank's wife. See how him leaving at all random hours that and was, killing people would actually yeah. affect the family. You only really get one scene here. Uh, you know, courtesy of Anna Paquin, who mm-hmm. gets like one line. I just, yeah. I, I don't know what story this was trying to tell. Is this a story about the Irishman or is this a story about Jimmy Hoffa? Okay. Uh, and I do, and I don't think that women will vote for it at all. That's, That's why I don't think it's going to win. That's a fair point. I, I would not begrudge that situation occurring at all. But what do you think then? Should is in the odds on? Favor I think right Marriage now? Story is the odds on favor right now. Which <laughs> okay. you have you haven't seen that? right? I haven't. It really did impress me. I thought it was excellent. Bombac did a great job. The script is funny. Now, two two hours into this movie, I was sitting there being like, "Well, it hasn't. I haven't cried yet, really. Yeah. Like, it hasn't hit me emotionally." But the last ten minutes took care of that for me, and I think that that last ten minutes, if you have a great ending, like, and which the Irishman does, the, yeah, the, the, like the last forty five minutes of the Irishman are the best part of the movie, don't yeah. you think? Uh, I would. Uh, last thirty minutes. I enjoy no? the whole movie, so I can't say. But okay, all yeah. right. Um, I enjoyed the journey. I just overall. thought, like, I, I can't say too much about the Irishman because you know yeah, no, yeah, yeah. nobody's seen it, but the, it does take on some more emotion towards the end. Mm-hmm. Yes, which, agreed. Which I, I need in a Best Picture winner. I think Jojo Rabbit has a great shot. What did you think of Jojo Rabbit? I you love saw, Jojo right? Rabbit. I just don't know if the material. Normally, you present me a movie about Nazis and Jews and the Holocaust or whatever is going on. I think that's an odds-on favorite. But I think this material is so kind of a little bit out there that I don't know if the Academy members necessarily are at that place overall as a voting body that they would give it to Jojo Rabbit. I think it'll get nominated. I think he's got a great chance to get nominated. I just would be very shocked if it won. A lot of people want it to win, but I would be very shocked if it actually I think win. if Jojo gets in, it mm-hmm. could win, but the struggle will be getting in. Yes. Um, I, I, listen, the Academy is a largely Jewish... Uh, organization. Right. I do think that this movie, Jews may find a little bit, be a, be a little bit more comfortable laughing at some mm-hmm. of the the Nazi humor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Guy Lodge. I was reading today on Twitter. He felt like it infantilized the Holocaust. To me, the kid is not right. the, the Holocaust is not the Holocaust when it's happening. No, like he doesn't. Like the kid has no perception that millions of people are dying. To me, it doesn't that's not mm. how I looked at it as. It's a very childlike view of things. Right. And I think that's the line. See, and I have to walk along. I am not a Jewish. Uh, I'm not Jewish. Uh, You're an honorary uh, you know. Jew today, John. Okay, thank you. I, I was du- inducted that into that by Steve Morris on the Cinephiles as well. But I will say this. I think what it does is show you what a German kid would create in his mind at that time. Because if you remember, they were called the Hitler Youth because they were right. indoctrinated into this world. And I, and I think this is... Actually, an interesting new approach into this situation. Because would you have not seen another Holocaust it, film with another story? It helped you understand how right. you know how where where were these? How do these guards get to be in this position You're where right. they're marching Jews to their deaths? Well, they were kids. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. and that's all they saw around them. Everybody just wants to be part of the club. That's what JoJo wants to do. He just wants to fit in. Well, and I also think it's universal in the fact that you look at what's happening now with the rise of the white supremacist movement, a rise of all these right wing like hardcore movies that are going on across 
the uh, across the world, they're being indoctrinated at young age. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the terrorist attacks, the, 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 the Muslim the uh, Muslim terrorists, those kids are being schooled at a young age. I saw it yesterday. They had a, a young Muslim girl who was angry at the death of the uh, uh, al-Qaeda guy that we just killed. She said, you think America, you're going to get away with this? Blah, blah, blah. She is like 12. Right. And so they get them young. They indoctrinate them young. I saw this in the Imel DeMarcos documentary, The Kingmaker. The, Imel DeMarcos is making a political comeback in that country, in the Philippines. And the reason they're doing it is they're starting at the youth and telling that martial law was actually a good idea. They're conditioning them to believe that. So seeing that played out the way it's played out in Jojo Rabbit – is what's essential because he gets, you know, he, he has that interaction with the, with the Thomas it's, McKenzie it's a, character. I think it's a great coming-of-age story. Yes. It honestly has a lot in common with Green Book. You know, Green Book is about uh, an Italian guy who, who wouldn't, you know, threw away the glasses that the black guys were drinking out of in his home. He learns to overcome prejudice. That not that what JoJo's arc is in this movie? He learns that everything that that, that, that people are – what? You can be honest. You can rail against Green Book I, if you want. Yes. I, I you hate Green, the movie. No, I know. No, no. I hate that it won. Green Book is a fine right. film. A, f- a fine film. That, it has that, no business winning Best Picture. R- okay, so because some some people gave it an award, it affects how you think of the movie. No, no, I think of the movie is a fine. I just said it's a fine film. It's just that it's. I don't think. I think Jojo Rabbit's a better film overall. And I think if Jojo Rabbit has more to say than Green Book did, Green Book is, is a lifetime movie. Oh, it's a very easy film about racism. There's nothing new That's or fair. groundbreaking go- going so, on. So in Green then, Book. Jojo Rabbit's the opposite of it in terms of it's not an easy film. It's right. a challenging film. Exactly. But the arc is has, is similar. No? Yeah, I guess if you want to find the connection, the fact that, you know, he gets over his racism towards uh, black people, he gets over his racism towards Jewish people. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think Queen and Slim, nobody, like, Universal is playing a very weird game with, with Queen and Slim, and they really are getting behind 1917 as a Best Picture contender, but mm. I really do think Queen and Slim is going to cause. It's going to make some waves when it comes out. Okay. It's very controversial. Involves police shootings, and yeah. you know it takes a really hard. It's a tough examination of race in this country, and it's very now. Mm-hmm. It's very current. Um, so I think that people are sleeping on that as a p- possible contender. I still think the farewell is is one of the best films I've seen this year. Did you see mm-hmm. that yet, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you, What did you think of that? Heartbreaking, and really, like if you have suffered any kind of death in your family, which everyone has, which everyone has. Uh, if you, well, you know, maybe some people are eighteen and haven't. No, but, you, but if you're in the academy, you know someone yeah, who has died. Which probably. you know, someone was saying Marriage Story could really play to the academy because Hollywood is just full of divorce. Yeah, yeah, true. So I, I think that – I think it affects you that way. To me, The Farewell is just a universal. Like did, did you cry? Did you laugh? Yeah, of course. Like, I got emotional at the end. But I think – I was got emotional at the end of Irishman too. I think this is – I think these films are too small, bro. We have to factor this in. We have to have this conversation, right? What has been their main complaint? That the film – the ratings are going down. Nobody's watching these things. A big – you know, I don't want to watch Hollywood because it got those small independent yeah, yeah. films. This is what could end up hurting films like Marriage Story or The Farewell or other – and I think it helps – Films like The Irishman or Joker or these other films that no. are more populist mainstream films. To get, Green Book was a populist mainstream. It was not an independent film. But do you think do you think that people voted for Green Book because it was making money? I, I don't think I don't think that I don't I think, think they the voters factor in box office. That's a, for, that's a PGA award thing. I think it was a safe mainstream movie. That's why they voted for it, in my opinion. 
The, the body the, hasn't the, changed. You at all. may be right that the farewell is a small movie. It's a twenty four, but it, you know, I just don't think box office matters that much. Okay, um, it's not like Bohemian Rhapsody or Stars Born won last year. I mean, no. Green Book did do well, but it, it wasn't a blockbuster like those films. I would have been okay with Stars. Um, and and I still have to see Just Mercy and Richard Jewell and nineteen seventeen. Those oh, are the well, three movies that they really haven't shown yet. Don't count out the um, Tom Hanks. Uh, isn't that coming out this year? A Beautiful the, Day in the Yeah, yeah. The That's Fred not win Best Picture. Come on. It's a Mr. Rogers movie. They didn't even go for the documentary last year, which was excellent. That's That's, not, that was ridiculous. I'm talking about what, like, what could win. Like, okay. I'm not, I haven't seen the film yet, so sure, I sure. can't say. And, and, neither, and neither have I, but I'm pretty confident that okay. they're not giving best picture to a Fred Rogers movie. Okay. Okay. Uh, for best actor, who do you think it's between? What, what have you got right now? I think it's like clearly between Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix. I, I don't think yeah. De Niro will factor in. No. I don't think Sandler will factor in. Guys like you know Banderas may have a good story with Pain and Glory, oh, right, but right. that's not that's not going to happen. No. This is an Adam Driver versus Joaquin Phoenix race. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I think Joaquin wins hands down. It's not even a question. I think. Well, you haven't seen Mar uh, Marriage Story. There's yet, no so you way. Gotta, whatever he say. does in Marriage Story will come close to what Joaquin did in Joker. There's just no way. It's a divorce. It's a divorce. Unless he completely metamorphosizes into a completely new human being physically. It's, it's a different kind of performance. It's not a, a big go for broke dancing on the stairs, you know, acting like a madman you, performance. Do you, do you but give it to Dustin Hoffman and Kramer Kramer or do you give it to Robert Dean Raging Bull? It's essentially what you're arguing right now. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. But. But De Niro and Raging Bull is, you know, like no one he had traded Jake LaMotta before. They already gave someone an, an, an Oscar for uh, for playing the Joker. I guess. And I'm not saying, like, I may give it to Joaquin myself if I was voting. I think he was terrific. He was <laughs> just dynamite. But I don't know that you can just say it's Joaquin's to lose at this point. I do. Is it 50-50 in your mind? I think dri dri Driver bolstered by the fact he's in the report. Mm -hmm. He's got Star Wars coming out. Like, he's kind of going to be everywhere. That's a fair point. I, I, they don't – I mean, Joaquin hasn't won an Oscar. Uh, no. No, he, I don't think not so. Been not up for the master. That, yeah, no. He he's not been up on that stage. So maybe it does play into it like mm -hmm. a scent of a woman type of uh, – you no, because then you're cheapening it at that point, and I think he's the sense of a woman was not. I don't, Pacino's be best I don't believe in career uh, award things, but right. I just wonder if they look at Driver and they think, oh, well, he's going to have a long career. You know, he's got uh, many more years ahead of him. I don't know. I, I think he does have many more years ahead of him. I think they see it that way. I think it's and it's not like sense of a woman. Sense of a woman was like a decent perform, a good performance, decent performance. It wasn't anywhere near. Pacino's best. This is maybe the best or near the best Joaquin we've ever seen. Um, best actress. I don't anything. Know. I don't know. Who do you got? I think it's Renee Zellweger. It's like yeah, for bag. Judy in the bag. Okay. I don't think it's gonna be Charlize or Saoirse Ronan. Uh -huh. or, no, I don't see that. Yeah, not even for uh, uh, the one that's coming out, the Fox News one. No, you don't well, think so? I, I wasn't a fan of that movie. Okay. Um, she, it's a, it's a very impressive performance, and okay. but part of it for me was the transformation into Megyn Kelly, and that's uh -huh. just you know makeup. She does a great job with the voice. Uh, but no, I can't give her that over Zellweger. Do you feel like it hasn't been as strong of a year for uh, Best Actress nominations, or do you think there have been a lot of consider a lot of choices? Uh, I think that the the movies that I think had great performances from women mm -hmm. are just not in the mix this year. Gotcha. So like Emma Thompson in Late Night, I thought was great. Jesse okay. Buckley in Wild Rose, like these yeah. are unfortunately just not the performances that people are talking about. What about Aquafina and Farewell? I don't think that she gets in. Okay. I, I th I'd like to see them nominate Shuzhen Zhao, who plays the, the grandmother. Okay. 
Um, I, I'd love to see her get a supporting actress nomination, but I think that that is even you know on the bubble as well. Well, let me ask you about Lopez. Do you think that a lot of people are clamoring after Hustlers, which completely went away? Do you think Hustlers? Do you think she'll get nominated for Hustlers? Yes, I do. Wow. In fact, uh, on FYC, the episode that you haven't seen yet, she was my lock. Wow. Um, for nomination. For a nomination. For a nomination. I, I, and, I, and this was also before I had seen Marriage Story. After seeing Marriage Story, I think I think this is Laura Dern's Oscar to lose. Ooh. Um, a supporting actress, you mean? Yes. Yeah. It's just because she, like, she has the respect of her peers. She has paid her dues. Mm. She's, you know, in addition to doing blockbusters, she's obviously done a ton of like these weirdo indie movies, right. uh, weird David Lynch things, and she's just she also like is Hollywood royalty, right? Uh, as the daughter of Bruce Dern, so uh, yeah, I, I think Laura Dern is strong enough as Scarlett Johansson's, uh, you know, divorce attorney. So you sound like you're saying it's okay to give her a legacy Oscar. When you just said you don't like giving legacy Oscars, I, I don't think it, I think that the legacy Oscar is done in terms of like you know Glenn Close didn't win last year, right? Right. You know people are talking about Annette Bening getting a nomination for the report this year. I don't. She's think, good. I, I don't think that that's going to happen. Okay. Uh, and, and when I and I, and I said to someone like, oh, they don't like Annette Bening, and they go, what do you mean? She's been nominated like four times, and mm. she's never won. It's true. Like you know they they can like you, but they. You know they don't love you. Same yeah. same with Glenn Close. Well, she's lost what twice to Hillary Swank, so it's oh, like she's just she's Hillary's Warren, not nominated this year. She's Warren Beatty's wife. It's it's like isn't that enough? Oh Jesus! <laughs> I, I, I think that's the way they look at Annette Benning sometimes. I, I wouldn't say that's enough. I would say like you should give her the Oscar for having to endure that sometimes. Uh, you're probably right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there anything that you th- like? Could Richard Jewell come out of nowhere? Uh, Maybe. And throw a wrench in things. Well, or 1917. You told me off off Mike that you you've heard that this is a good movie and that this is maybe some of the best stuff Eastwood has directed in a bit. And if he gets it right here, and this guy who's playing Richard Jewell uh, knocks it out of the park, why can't he be nominated? I, I think that's certainly possible. I would love to see Paul Walter Hauser get nominated. Mm-hmm. Although I don't even know if he's the lead in the movie or if he's going to be more of a supporting role, and they're yeah. going to push Sam Rockwell. You know, like, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how that story is structured. He's already won one. Um, right, but not not as a lead. Like maybe True. Sam Rockwell runs as lead. I don't even know. Okay. And then there's always the, the Ford versus Ferrari step where you have Damon and Bale competing for, right. for one right. nomination. You've got Sandler and Eddie Murphy, two SNL veterans who are probably doing some of the best work of their career. Yeah. Do you think Sandler's a real shot? I thought, Sandler, I thought Sandler was, was really, really good in Uncut Gems. I just don't know if that movie's going to be up the Academy's alley. Okay. Okay. Um, anything else that you wanted to touch on with regards to awards? Oh, uh, okay. So, um, yeah. this year's this year they changed the rules and they're going to allow uh, everyone to vote on the the international feature film Oscar, yes. which used to be called the best foreign language film Oscar. Uh, do you think that that benefits any any movie in particular? Parasite, I think certainly it benefits Parasite in terms of the fact that I think it'll make people see it more readily. And then maybe even move it into the best picture category. I think that may be an indirect effect of having it be so accessible to people to see that film. I think the the, the I think the Banderas film is going to get that. They always nominate Almodovar, so that's not it's going to be a shock to me in any way, shape, or you form. You think Pedro would get a director nomination? I don't know or? if we're going to direct him, but the film will get nominated for best foreign language. I'm, uh, he always does. Almost all his. Films yeah, I, I think that 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 one will get in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Parasite will will make the jump to the best picture category. It I should. still I still feel like it's a Korean genre film at the end of the day. They have this category for a reason. 
I, I think it'll it'll get that nomination and may even be the front runner to to win. Even though I hear great things about Les Misérables yeah. out of France. Yeah. Uh, I just I don't know, man. That movie lost me in in the last couple minutes. Parasite did. Yeah, I didn't love the end. What? Yeah. Wow. I've heard no one say that. That's shocking to me. Okay. Well, it ha- it has a few detractors. Um, yeah. Who are they? What are their names? Can you out them? What's that club? I look know like? Josh Dickey's one of them. <laughs> uh, anything else on awards? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got yeah, re-released over the that. weekend. Let's talk Sounds about like that. it wasn't worth it to go back to the theater, that, that the inserts were, were minimal, and you can catch them all on the Blu-ray or whatever. But what do you want to talk about with regard to Do it? you think this one has a shot to get nominated for Best Picture? Do you think it has a chance to win? I think it has a shot saying... to be nominated, but no. Okay. I, I, I don't see it as a winner. Okay. I, that's another one where the end, it just it lost me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I didn't buy the cartoonish ending. Do you think the Bruce Lee controversy will? Uh, yeah, I agree. No, with that. I don't that, like that's, the ending. That's nothing. Okay, that's that, that's that's one woman's crusade. Okay, no, that's not the one woman's crusade. There's a lot of people who feel that way, and I don't. I don't. I'm I'm on two sides because I you know I interviewed uh, Mike Moe and I think Mike Moe's an awesome dude and it was his lifetime dream to play Bruce Lee and I'm one of those people that believes it was like a, a fantasy in Brad Pitt's head. That being said, I do think this. I think Tarantino has a legacy now. All of a sudden, I think he will get. This thing in there for best picture and might even get himself nominated for best actor. Does uh, uh, the young girl get nominated for best supporting actress? If it was up to me, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> if it was up to me, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't nominate the women of Bombshell, but I have a feeling that they're going to take up one or two slots. Oh yeah. Um, okay. What else you got? Uh, I guess that that's kind of it for the Oscars for now. Okay. Um, yeah, still got to see a couple Warner Brothers movies. I mean, I'm planning to see Motherless Brooklyn this yes. week. The King is available on Netflix. Today? i got to watch that with uh, Timothy Chalamet. Oh, i still got to finish Dolomite. Mm-hmm. And I want to watch The Laundromat as well. Um, I'm not hearing good things The Laundromat, but I hope it's good. Yeah. What about The Report? You don't think it's got, You don't think it has a shot? Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it. It, looked, it felt like a good TV movie. Wow. Yeah. That's You're not, insane. That's not a big screen story. <laughs> that's, what that's, are you that's, talking that's an, about? That's an HBO movie right there. <laughs> Uh, All right. I also saw American Son, the Kerry Washington uh, movie. That's on Netflix now, I believe. Okay. That that was a, an adaptation of a play that should have stayed on Broadway. It, it did not work as a movie at all to me. Okay. And, and the two of them, Kerry Washington and Stephen Pasquale, are just like playing to the back row mm-hmm. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Didn't work for me. Um, all right. Got, we got a few minutes left in this show. Okay. Uh, what do you got? How about Bob Evans? What about him? R.I.P. Robert yep. Evans. Yep, one of the first books I ever read about film. Uh, the kid stays in the picture. And yep. back when I was starting to make this transition myself into like analyzing films and looking at films, and find, I was like obsessed with reading biographies. That's why I'm going with biopics in the Schmodown. I'm obsessed with biographies. The kid stays in the picture was fantastic, and then they did a documentary about him, and then you realize how many films were in Robert Evans's hemisphere that he touched or created or made or had a hand in, and you're just shocked. And then you hear all these terrible stories about him on the other side. But he has one, right. of, the, one of the greatest voices I've ever heard of anybody who isn't an actor in my entire life. And he that documentary, you understand why people were charmed by this guy. Who did he end up doing voiceovers for? Didn't he end up doing... Oh, yeah, right at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was I can't it, remember. Like I can a... look it up, though. 
Yeah. Some major major brand or something. Yeah. Um, Robert Evans. Yeah, listen, he was a giant uh, and, and sort of represented the end of an era. Yes. And Agreed. some people would say that's a good thing because, <laughs> believe me, I took a lot of screenshots on Facebook from, you know, people who actually knew Robert Evans yeah. and – you know, they didn't always have the nicest things to, to say about him. Sure. I'm sure he knew where all the bodies were buried in this town and, and kept secrets for all kinds of powerful men. I loved his last tweet. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? Yeah. He told some guy, I bet your ass I've done more in the last month than you in your entire life. <laughs> um, pretty pretty great for, for a guy in his 80s. Um, so RIP to, to Bob Evans. I think, you know, there just aren't a lot of guys like that coming around the corner in this town. I don't see who the, who the next Bob Evans is. Yeah. Just the whole brash producer. Like whether it's Bruckheimer or Joel Joel Silver, Scott Rudin, like where where is that next generation of producer? It's a good question. It, it, the, the town's become a little bit too nice. Well, yeah, um, Chinatown Marathon Man, Urban Cowboy, The Cotton Club, Two Jakes, Sil- Sliver Jade. These are just things he's produced and created. But there's as so an executive, much. he was involved in a lot more. Yeah, including a lot the Godfather more movies. Uh, we had to uh, do another RIP this week for Deadspin. Pour one out uh, yeah. for your favorite sports blog. What happened with that? Um, I mean, I, I I love it. Like you yeah. know, Edith came down. We want you to stick to sports. Editor in chief is like, but we've been doing you know non sports stuff for years. It's some mm-hmm. of our best stuff. I mean, our traffic is high, but. You know, it makes us be able to look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day, I feel like. He programmed a day of non-sports coverage. He got canned the next day, and everyone on his staff quit. I mean, what a show of support. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see the site that rises from the ashes of Deadspin. And, and I'm laughing at the, the guys who's paid millions of dollars for that brand are now going to have to populate it with $25,000 interns. Yeah. Who 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 was involved in this making? Was this? Did they change owners? Is that yeah, why G- this happened? Yeah, new owners: Jim Spanfeller, Geo Media Group. You know, just are they a conservative you, group? I I don't know, but okay. De- Deadspin pr- provided a vital service, yeah. and I think they're going to be sorely missed. And I yeah, I think all those writers will land on their feet somewhere. Yeah. Um, it just it sucks when sites, whether it's that or Grantland or whoever, you know, they, they get split oh, up for, for reasons uh, beyond your control, including right. my, my, my own tracking board, Hit Fix, where Drew McGuini and Richard Rushfield were. Like, yeah. I, I don't understand it. Um, There's a lot of great writers roaming around doing freelance work nowadays who were so uh, instrumental in, you know, kind of creating the brand of sites. It's a shame. I agree, a thousand percent. I, you know, I, I've seen a lot about the the Irishman theatrical release because it is available mm. in theaters today. Yeah, and and people were like, I think it's not playing in twenty one states at least, and, and that some of the states where it is playing, it's like you know you'd have to drive three or four hours to see it. Right, it's only in one theater, and it's in, and and like for Florida, it's in like some. Nowhere theater. It's not like in a major city like Miami or Orlando. Yeah. But people don't seem to understand. If it was up to Netflix, no one would see The Irishman in a theater. Okay? They only give these things theatrical releases really yeah. for voters because they want voters – they don't want voters to penalize the movie for for being a streaming release. Mm-hmm. And so they have to show it to the voters in theaters so that the voters just equate – the experience has no different than any other theatrical experience that they had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but really, I think if it, if it was up to Netflix, nobody would go. Like that's why they they pick these random weirdo theaters so they can tell Scorsese, yeah, you're playing your movie's playing in a zillion markets and uh, you know on this many screens. But, but yeah, they, they want people watching in, in the comfort of their own homes. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, 
I want to hype my uh, 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 do a little shout out to my Gary Goleman interview, which went up last Friday afternoon. Guys, I, I put two regular headlines on this interview. Nobody clicked on it, so, <laughs> so I, t- I turned to Stephanie on my couch, my girlfriend, and I go, "Watch this," and I and I uh, screenshotted the Joker story that he told uh-huh. and tweeted that out, and it's a great story. Uh, Gary basically says that you know he's the real comedian in in the movie. And so when he was doing his set, he had to, he did like six takes, yeah. and there was this one extra, and all the extras had sort of been told to laugh because Gary's killing it; he's a professional. Um, and there was this one extra who was laughing a little too loudly and obnoxiously. And by the sixth take, Gary uh, almost went up to Todd Phillips right as he was about to complain and be like, "Hey, is there something we can do about this guy? Like he's really throwing off my timing." That's when he realized it was Joaquin Phoenix himself, the Joker. <laughs> so a really good story. Uh, do check out that interview with Gary Goldman from last week because um, it's a good one. Uh, other news: Disney picked up its own Christmas Carol movie from Bill Condon, kind of giving the middle finger to Apple. Who had okay. their own Will Ferrell, uh, Ryan Reynolds version? They're how both many? musical reimaginings of the Christmas Carol. How many of these do we need? John? How many do we need? Yeah. I'm done already. The the what Robert Zemeckis's last one that was it. that should be the it. Actually, just put the nail in the coffin. We all know the story. We can go back and watch all the multiple versions. Right. That isn't. But this bro- is a musical reimagining. They, they, I, yeah. It'll be interesting the, to see. The, the Muppets already did a musical reimagining. It's like they they may not have Ryan Reynolds, but. I don't know. The Disney brand is really bigger than any star, yeah. um, and so it, it's going to be interesting to see who gets theirs to the to the starting line first. Yeah, um, we saw the Di- uh, the Simpsons go to Disney Plus this mm-hmm. this week. South Park and, and Rick and Morty wound up at HBO Max. I don't even know if I'm going to end up getting a descript- uh, a subscription to that. Uh, Fifteen w- bucks is expensive too. I want to ask you about the Apple Plus stuff before we wrap up. The reviews haven't been that positive for some of their shows. Right. And they're signature shows. Mm-hmm. I've seen some vitriol, angry reviews yes. online. Is this a fumbled opening, like release, launch for this yes. Apple Plus? Because I, I, I said that they're, they're, they're not looking at, like, can we compete with Netflix? Their ideas are they're below them. They have so much money they're going towards Oscars. But if you stumble out the gate like this, this hurts your brand. Yeah, it, it's definitely not great for Apple, but I see why they wanted to rush and get out in front of Disney+. Plus. You know, yeah, but why do it if you're going to stumble when you're running in front? Disney's just going to walk right by you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think Apple is going to get the hang of it, and the fact that they do, uh, they sell so many phones, and, and that Apple mm. TV Plus is going to come, you know, preloaded on these phones. It already is. Yeah, you're going to have like a year subscription or whatever. Uh, that that is powerful. Mm-hmm. It, it really does show their reach. You know, there's been speculation that that Apple could end up buying Netflix. Yeah, that's possible because Apple doesn't really have a library. You know, so you can only keep people on the service for X amount of hours. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what is the second wave of stuff like. Yeah. You know, amazing stories and a couple of other things, but it's certainly not to the extent. I feel like I've been reporting on more Queeby and HBO Max stuff than Apple stuff. So maybe they're going to be in the acquisitions business. I, I don't know. But, yeah. It, yeah, it's definitely not not great, especially with Disney Plus coming out in 12 days and they just have everything. Yeah, and you remember that video they released, right. that, that black and white video that's talking about the artistry of film and blah, 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 and this is what they come out with. And you're like, oh, man, this is a massive stumble. And the last thing I, that I, I missed uh, talking about was the, the Netflix speed playback oh, yeah. thing. That became yeah. some weird – everything's a controversy this week. Judd Apatow was tweeting about it. Ugh. I don't think it's a big deal. I really don't. It's not. I mean, if people want to – Use that. Be my guest. I don't know why you would. Mm-hmm. DVD players could always do this. Um, podcasts don't. do this now. Right. Like, 
you don't advertise it, but it's just an option in the event that you are in a rush or I don't even know. Why would you slow it down? Here's my deal. Here's my deal. Don't bitch about gatekeeping and then gatekeep. There's no, yeah. you know what I'm saying? The same people who are like, no, you know, don't tell people what's cinema, what isn't cinema, blah, 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 are the same people going, no, you need to enjoy my movie this way. No, you put content out. We can enjoy it as the consumers of the content however the F we want to. If we want to rush through your movie, guess what? We're going to rush through your movie. You know why? Because there's so much content now for us to watch. There's so much going on in the world. A lot of people working multiple jobs to stay alive and pay their rent. They have to consume the content however they can consume it. And if you want us to review it and take a look at it and judge it and analyze it, some of us are going to have to speed through some things. And having that option is a positive overall because I guarantee you there's no difference between speeding through a thing and then you putting your show up and I'm on my phone at the time because you're not keeping my attention. What's the difference? Yep. I think that's probably a good place to end the episode. We're running out of time here. Uh, congratulations to Bob and Jeannie Bernie, who have reopened Picture House. Uh, farewell to Christian Harloff, whose last day over on Collider Live was today. And thank you for, to, to Christian for helping uh, facilitate my hire here at Collider. Mine too. Um, and uh, and thoughts and prayers to everyone who was forced to evacuate due to the fires this yeah. week. Um, so yeah, that, that'll do it. John, where can the good folks find you? You can find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And please give a little love to the Deep Cut. We have Alex Wolf on uh, on this, and he'll tell you a story about how Rihanna running her fingers through his hair changed his young life. Ooh. Yeah. And I am at the Insider on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, buy a goddamn cameo, folks. The holiday seasons are coming. <laughs> buy a cameo for your friend. Uh, John John Roca also on cameo. You could get two of us for the price uh, sure. of one. Uh, <laughs> We should really talk to Cameo about making that like a two-for-one deal. I'm down with that. Um, all right, guys. That was episode 15 of the Snyder Cut. Make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, download, tell your friends, tell your grandparents, all that good stuff. Have a wonderful Friday, and we'll see you next week. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you've got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply.